Before we start, we just wanted to say up front, thank you for listening. If this episode, or UX Podcast in general, gives you joy, then please visit uxpodcast.com slash support and say thank you by giving us a little or as much as you'd like, from just a few dollars to hundreds of corona. By funding UX Podcast together with James and myself, we can hopefully bring you eight more years of an independently curated UX Podcast. Thank you for being wonderful. UX Podcast Episode 212. Hello, I'm James Royal Lawson. And I'm Pat Axbom. This is UX Podcast. We're in Stockholm, Sweden, and you're listening in 185 countries, from Serbia to Slovenia. Kate Rudder is a designer, design educator, and entrepreneur. With 20 years building digital products, she's helped hundreds of practitioners bring customer empathy and collaborative design practices to their work. Kate is an adjunct professor of interaction design at California College of the Arts and co-hosts the Not Safe for Work podcast, What is Wrong with UX, along with Laura Klein. And like many of us, Kate has recognized that most professionals don't have time to continually expand their knowledge of new technologies and tools, and yet our work relies on this very currency. So we sat down to pick Kate's brain on how we can stay up to date in a world that's constantly in flux. We touch on the topics of specialization, the youth machine, learning hybrids, recruitment, and we even get to hear about Kate's dream of becoming a truck driver. So something, I mean, the three of us, we've, we've been in the industry a, a couple of years now. And, um, and something I know we've, my pair have reflected on before is just the, the sheer pace of change. Um, we've we kind of half joked before about you know you learn you learn a tool or a technique and in six months you know it's 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 passé it's it's gone and and I know I f- I can feel quite um, stressed by by that that rapid pace of change and it's 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 stressful having to kind of keep on top of it or feel like you need to keep on top of it. Do I? How do I? <laughs> How do we do that? Yeah. Yeah. So that is. I think when we signed up for this field, and I think some people have explicitly signed up and joined this field, other people have evolved with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's interesting to see really the first cusp of practitioners hitting what I would call retirement age, right? Like getting to the point where maybe their prime growth years might be behind them, and yet our field doesn't really allow for that, no. right? So it's not an operational delivery-oriented field. It's about evolution and constantly adapting to what's possible. And so, yeah, I th- I'm hearing more and more from practitioners within my network that the pace of change feels very different mm. now. And I think we've had a few evolutional shifts in this. First of all, I've seen a huge amount of specialization, even amongst generalists. So you might specialize the type of organization you're working with or uh, the type of are you more on the generative concepting side or the detail optimization design system side, mm. kind of depending. So I think that we've got so much breadth of material that judicious practitioners have needed to make choices about where they put their evolutional learning because it's, it's effort yeah. right? and it can be stressful. I also hear that uh, skills are aging out. So... When you talk about to practitioners who are newer in the field, they just have a different set of practical tools that they use 
that are um, also evolving quite rapidly. So you, you know, I, I can't think of the last time I really talked to someone who's doing wireframes in InDesign, or sometimes wireframes at all, mm. right? But for so many people, that was bread and butter for so many years. So I think it is exhausting, but I also prefer to look at it as invigorating. I mean, maybe it's the youth machine, right? Mm. <laughs> maybe it forces us to stay learning and open, perhaps against our own instincts. Yeah. And I think that's interesting because only now do we really have the seasoning that 20 years in the field could offer us mm. yeah. for this UX practice. I, I do think um, elder practitioners, if that's <laughs> such a thing, I'm not quite sure I want to go there, but... Uh, Vin vintage UXers is uh, vintage what our fans... Yeah. Heirloom yeah. UX, yeah. right? Say exactly. <laughs> Name the age. Say how old. Well, <laughs> right. so, yeah, to be totally clear, I'm trying to also reduce some of the barriers about, you know, older women in the workplace. But so at 51, it's been interesting to look back and think that in some ways I still feel like I'm not quite adulting in my professional career because I've always ended up being curious about things that haven't yet fully been adopted. Yeah. Right. So... Um, but that vanguard get, can get tiring, mm. right? I mean, I, that, that I recognise too is that you, when you're working in a in a rapidly maturing industry that we are, at the same time as you know you're you're, you're going through the the primary career and into the the, the latter part of your career, I guess that, that um, that's that's an interesting. Um, well, dualism of, of events. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, and it's fun and challenging. Of it course. is. There are a few principles that I adopted fairly early in my career, which I'm glad in hindsight that I did. I didn't even know I was doing it. Um, and one is uh, never work for someone you wouldn't hire. Never hire you wouldn't someone you wouldn't work for. And it turns out I've I've worked for people I've hired. Right? Like this is not. I don't think of it, our field has worked very well when it's like a hierarchy move up the, move up the quote totem pole or, mm. or through up through organization and then you get to this leadership role and then you retire with a gold watch. That mm. world was over when I entered my career, but we just hadn't recognized it yet. Mm. And so I think that having people 10 years elder in a field and 10 years less elder, like younger in a field, I think is a really important ballast kind of figure out what should I be learning, what are some of the newer adoption beliefs. I mean, mm. I'll never be a digital native. I just wasn't born at the time mm. to accommodate mm. that. And there are mindsets and thinking tools that, that people who grew up with technology inherent in their everyday behavior, they have that I, I don't have. And mm. if I can't get access to that, I can't help design good products. I can't think the right ways about technology today. So it kind of forces you to, and hopefully in a good way, to keep your network young. You know, yeah. keep your network evolving and don't like get balkanized into this elderhood mm. that's inappropriate and unhelpful mm. for your learning capacity. Mm. That's interesting because uh, a lot of people are now talking about how us who have been in the industry for a while uh, are becoming more and more coaches and facilitators uh, for others. But that could also be interpreted as we're sort of giving up on learning the new tools. <laughs> and we're also uh, saying that what we know is the truth. Yes. Uh, and what you're saying here is that really we should be learning from the younger generation who are actually be being the ones who are using the tools. Yeah, I, th I like to look at mentorship as almost a reverse mentorship, mm -hmm. that it's this two-way equitable exchange between um, what are – you know, what can some life experience help us understand and what can new new challenges help us understand? And that needs to be this two-way street. I've mm. never been very successful in strongly hierarchical environments. Um, 
and I, I still get like my my hackles up when someone says, pay your dues, and then you can actually do the good stuff. I'm mm-hmm. like, well, that's bullshit, right? Like, mm-hmm. just start with the good stuff, because the good stuff is constantly evolving. Um, and if there's work that doesn't have value, that's redundant or boring or menial, I, you know, welcome robot overlords, right? Like, I actually think that's worth automating. I would like to see design systems help automate a lot of the production work that UX designers have been doing as part of the outputs for many, many years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I don't know who else has had ever had to deal with, and again, this is the, hey, kids, get off my lawn. Like, I, I would like to save every practitioner from creating static wireframe interface ideas for multiple states for dynamic oh, products. Yeah. Mm. I'm like, oh, please, save yourself from that pain. Like, interactive prototypes and design systems should way accommodate for that world. Yeah. But I didn't grow up in that world, so it's yeah. interesting to try. Like, I don't always go to that next level of thinking as a default. It is. I mean, that that's, a, that's one of the examples of where um, uh, people have jobs that are that thing. Mm-hmm. And and you know, when that thing stops being maybe the most um, relevant tool, then yeah, we're, we're naturally going to try and defend our titles or defend our our, our worlds um, when you've been you know, using it for your bread and butter maybe for a number of years. Yeah, well, and you think about how much of our digital tools have sidelined people for whom good earning careers were there, like customer support, and now we have automated tools yeah. that really help with that, or uh, <laughs> printing and delivery, or on-site sales folks. I mean, a lot of retail, if you take a look what's happening with the retail, and so many of the smaller shops not being able to compete in, in this more digital delivery environment. And and I think earlier in, in the evolution of digital services, there was a lot of shoulder shrugging saying, eh, well, too bad about them. And now it's, it might, I don't want it to feel that different when it's us. Like, we should yeah. shrug our shoulders yeah. and say, eh, too bad, time to retool. You know, and I know that sounds <laughs> really flip, and I don't mean it that way, but it's a serious shot across the bow. Mm. You got to retool. Mm-hmm. So, and with more and more, you know, we talk about the coming of the great <laughs> um, AI overlords, but it, it's true, a lot of the knowledge tools are starting to be augmented to the point. So this is a secret. I won't tell this to anyone else, I'll just the podcast okay. listeners in here. One of my aspirations growing up was to be a truck driver. And I told myself when I turned 40, I would quit whatever I was doing, go to professional truck driving school, try and save up and get a rig, and I would see the country, see the United States from you know, from a big rig. And I didn't do it because life was interesting and, you know, didn't seem like it was a good plan. And now I realize I'll probably never get to drive a truck because Mm. no one will be driving trucks. And so I'm like, I didn't ever expect that job wouldn't exist. I always thought it would be there. Exactly. You know? And uh, and I miss that. But I also am excited about the new opportunities that we don't know Mm. exist yet. I suppose we're one of those generations where we've, we've actually seen... Um, not only industries or, or occupations end, we're actually seeing occupations come and go <laughs> during <laughs> well our time. Said, yeah. Um, and that's the kind of, I guess there's not many generations that have experienced the kind of full spectrum of things coming in and going out again. Mm. Yeah. Very fast, very fast change. So now I, I'm in uh, an educational program. It's California College of the Arts, and I teach. And I've been in the undergraduate program. So these are traditionally college age, United States college age folks, so 18 to 22, quite a few, some older students as well with more life experience. Uh, And then there's a master's degree program. So I get access to people who are in their height explicit learning years, right? Mm. And there's a lot about that system that I think is under flux, Mm. which we don't need to go into. 
that um, I was invited to address the graduating class for the master's program. And one of the things that I hadn't realized until I wrote the talk was had held true for me, and I would strongly predict would hold true for them, is most of the jobs they have don't even exist yet. So how do you train or get an educational background for something that doesn't mm -hmm. exist? And I think that's an interesting challenge, and that's why I'm exploring these topics of ongoing mm -hmm. continuous learning environments. Yeah. It's really meaningful to me. Mm. So, so what is the challenge then? That because that would uh, make you presume that you can't keep up because you can't predict what's going to be next. Uh, what are we trying to solve? Do we, are we trying to find a way of working that doesn't require the tools that keep renewing? That's a really good point about the, the practical tools. I think the tools have become more fluid and easier to learn. Mm -hmm. We're much less specialized. Uh, I think consumer electronics and consumer software has really helped specialized software just be more accessible. So that's really good. Um, but I think we need a hybrid between an explicit learning environment, which usually happens in an institutional kind of big batch way, like I'm going back to school or I'm mm -hmm. going to school to do something, and on the job learning, which is I'm going to watch someone, I'm going to have someone who can maybe show me the ropes, etc., and learn things within the environment of the organization. I don't think organizations adapt very well when they, because you only learn what the organization knows how to do. In schools, they tend now, I think, to be more teaching things that are happening now and then maybe a little on the cusp, but not without a good kind of solid liberal arts, is we call it in the States a liberal arts degree, thinking how to, learning how to think, learning how to reason, et cetera. <coughs> like any of the training already is perishable goods. So I think somewhere between that explicit learning environment for an institution and the organizational learning environment, which is very on the job and directed towards immediate benefit, there's got to be this hybrid between them. And I'd like to think uh, that we, that our organizations can find more thoughtful ways to carve out time that are about explicit learning mm -hmm. um, and bring new ideas into the organization in a way that's not about an innovation lab or one you know, evangelist that goes around and tries to cross-populate. Um, and the institutions that we have become less classroom-based, more studio-based, and more partnership-based with organizations that are doing interesting work mm -hmm. so that we can start to blend those worlds. Uh, we don't exactly know what that looks like yet. I think it's different for every company. But three characteristics that I do see in highly learning environments, specif specifically around companies, are there's a real breakdown between who's a teacher and who's a student. So it's more of learning partners. Yeah. Um, because people bring different things, kind of referencing our earlier topic about mentorship, mm -hmm. that people bring different mindsets, and when they learn together, they learn better. So be knowledge exchange mm -hmm. or experience exchange. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Uh, I think being directed and intentional about where we put our learning efforts, so it's not about, less about tools perhaps, and more about here's a field or a domain of that I think our company could take advantage of, or that we see coming, right? Um, and of course, artificial intelligence, machine learning right now, very hot in the design world because mm -hmm. we don't know necessarily how to deal with it as practical tools. So I think of uh, defining a field or domain that you want to learn and making explicit steps, intentional steps to it, is a second one. And I think the third one is finding a way to have that growth mindset. I recognize this is a little buzzwordy, but like that growth mindset, recognizing that that learning process is, isn't an end goal outcome. You're not like teaching to a test, right? This is about... Uh, 
feedback and getting better and creating mastery in a different way where there is no end result. And I think when that cycle of collaborative learning partners, intentional um, domain pursuit, and then uh, looking at it as not done, but intentional kind of ongoing, that you start to get a cycle of learning that can really benefit personal practitioners as well as organizations. Mm. And that's what I would like to see more of. I think there's a lot of it out there, but I don't think we've codified the language enough to be able to point to it and say, those people, that's, that's a model that mm. we could start using in our company. Until you see that clarity around a model, I don't see adoption mm. happening. And that's, again, coming from our 20 years in the field. We've seen it mm. come up and down and up and down. Which, at which point is it best for us to dive in and start making a change? I'm thinking here now, um, we see so many job ads um, that list um, skills. Mm-hmm. And some of those skills are maybe specific pieces of, of software or, 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 or tools and so on. Um, I mean, would we help break the cycle by making sure we, we, we recruit differently? As in, we, we don't mm-hmm. mention tools in recruitment. Mm-hmm. Is, is, is that a good place to, to start breaking it? I think it's an it? interesting place to start breaking it, right? Mm-hmm. Because the, most of the listing for tools and years on job and things almost always are criteria for reducing the number of candidates not yeah. for increasing them, right? Yeah. Uh, so they're not, those, those specified skill sets are not about bringing new things into the company. They're about getting people who are immediately spun up. Exactly, it's right? the Lego bit you can just yeah. click into place. Yeah. yeah, and so what I think would be more, uh, more interesting but also more complex is do you have, is, is questions like how do you communicate interactive prototypes? And so there's a variety of tools that are effective. And what what might be a learning tempo for those? For some people, they enjoy playing around with new tools. Others don't as much. They want to know the optimization of how to be productive with it. I think those learning behaviors and mindsets might be interesting about it. If you want someone who is in a fairly operational and stable for the company um, role, and there is a tool set that's already been decided that the company is already productive with, then whoever's coming in either probably should know it or be very open to learning it very quickly, mm-hmm. yeah. right? If it's someone who's not as open to learning something very quickly and they don't know it, then maybe they're not the, the best fit anyway. But these, like for companies to be more open about this is the set of tools we habitually use mm. so that people can maybe tool up on something on their own. I mean, so many of those skill sets were, are, I think, a artifact of before you could learn shit on YouTube, right? I mean, yeah. oh my yeah, gosh, yeah. like you go to these, or lynda.com was one of the only video really good sources of, of solid tools-based learning. Before that, you had to take workshops and trainings mm. and things like that, and now you don't. You can yeah. go and you can get the platform. They're almost always subscriptions. You can subscribe during your learning time. You can learn the key pieces that you might need that were based on that job, and then you can go on. Mm. But I don't think our hiring practices have reflected that yet. No. Don't even get me started on hiring practices. So. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it just seems kind of <laughs> a, sh- a shitty way of recruitment by s- like kind of eliminating all the people who don't know Adobe XD right. just just now in 2019. Unless yeah. you're actually yeah. Adobe, I don't think that should matter, right? If yeah. you actually are Adobe, you might want to care about that. Well, you can probably train them up to, to be good at it That's pretty right. quickly if you're Adobe they will as be. well. So. Even if they're not XD yeah. users now, they sure yeah. will be. <laughs> but you even want companies that have... Uh, are set up like that, that this is the way we work, this, these, th- these are the tools we always use, because that means you always build the same type of thing. 
if you have the same tool. Yeah, in a, I think in a continuous learning world, the world, the word always is tricky, mm -hmm. right? Because right now, yeah. currently, might be helpful right. terms and yes. things for that mm -hmm. as well. Um, what I would love to see and what I've heard some people that are going in for interviews is that the hiring team or individual is asking, like, what do you use and why? Yeah. Yeah. What does it help you do that's different? Mm. Because that's an opportunity. I think that's the beginning of a mindset for we're bringing in new skills and expertise exactly. instead yes. of, like, using it as a barrier yeah. against yeah. hiring. Because yeah. then there's a potential for actually improving the way we work. Yeah. yeah. Thanks to this person we're bringing in. Yes. Uh, and you said, yeah. Kate, with the, the, um, that, that understanding you mentioned earlier about the, the tools, understanding the why behind the tool. I mean, that is that is the most important knowledge, effectively, because the, the tool itself is transient. Yeah. It's going to come and go. Um, <laughs> but, but the why, why did you apply that tool in that situation is, is your knowledge. That's your, that's your, mm. um, that's your um, craftsmanship. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's where the mastery is, yeah. Yeah. really. Uh, here's a tricky caveat that I think I hear tents of from people who are in leadership roles hiring, and that is there is so much thinky and there's so much... Um, possibility and opportunistic thinking and conceptual thinking that I think there's concern that people who are hired cannot make stuff, <laughs> cannot make buildable stuff, cannot deliver stuff, cannot deliver stuff on time. So there's some basic working practices um, of a designer so that I think are um, concerning for people. The number of times I've read, like, we don't need any more design strategists, right? <laughs> because the perception is, is that those people are thinking, hand-waving, and kind of ideating their way to a future possibility, but it's not practical, it's not implementable, it's not shippable, it's not measurable, some of those things that make businesses run really from a nuts and bolts way. So that's why one of the things I recommend for practitioners who approach me about, like, how will I make take my existing skills and move into UX role, because it's a growing field still, etc. And I'm like, work on personal projects and go through them and and I know that there's not a real client piece, but how, how close or can you get to shipping software and managing it in the face of customer use? Because that experience is very, very hard to get um, outside of a company. Mm. You know? but, and yet that's where you'll really encounter the thing that that, that visual tool, you know, whether it's Sketch or whether it's Photoshop even. I've seen Illustrator. When you design an inter interface, if you're looking at kind of creating a mock in that, and then you try and implement it, like, you learn a lot, right? You better have your grid systems down cause, mm. or have a, a platform or some kind of thing that you can use because implementing from one kind of tool to another kind of tool is a known challenge. So make stuff, build it, mm. see it fail, break your heart, yeah. <laughs> you know, inspire your vision, and actually show how you get around those really nasty problems and then talk about that in a way maybe not a visual portfolio on Dribbble, but talk about that in a process place, on Medium or on a blog, where you grapple and accept the challenges you had mm. and the reflections and how you how you're going to solve them. I think that's the mindset that's exactly. really meaningful for companies yeah. to hire. Mm. There's, a, there's always a story there. <laughs> I, ha I mean, I had, the, I had the chance to look at portfolios uh, some months ago, and they were basically, as, as you know, showing me screen dumps and, 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 and sketches. And I was asking them, well, what happened when you showed this to users? What happened when you showed it to clients? What were you doing beforehand? What, how much did you learn? And they, were, they always had hugely interesting stories, but they weren't in the portfolio. So that was the easiest recommendation. <laughs> that story is, is fantastic. 
put it in there. <laughs> You're done. Yeah, <laughs> tell the story. Yeah. Because people aren't hiring yeah. for what you yeah, did. Exactly. They're hiring for what you can do next for yeah. them. Yes. Oh, beautifully mm. said. Follow up with you on that. You said it. <laughs> no, I was just recapping. I'll stop at you too. The art of the paraphrase. <laughs> <laughs> so, is there any? Do we have any kind of like take-home advice for for the, in the team how they can keep on um, being being agile, not in just the way of producing their software, but in the way they're they're thinking about the why they're doing stuff. I mean, we have retrospectives. Mm-hmm. In, in, mm-hmm. Have we got something else we can say to help them? reflect and, and keep on keep on evolving I wish I wasn't hesitant about saying this I don't know why so I think there's lots of practices around mindfulness and personal reflection that are now appropriate within a company mm. uh, so beyond feedback and assessments which I think is how we've measured success in companies I'm curious about journaling applications and real intention and the uh the openness of getting feedback, even if it's very hard to hear, um, from teammates and then think about what behavior changes would help me help a practitioner better adapt. Mm. And being very reflective about that in a personal venue. So I, I love a written journal. I know that there's digital journals. Mm. Um, I think for sketch noters, I've seen an interesting trend for personal reflection through visual note taking as well. Mm. Uh, you know, journals and, and diaries aren't just for offline use you know they're they're really tools for self-growth mm-hmm. and self-reflection yeah. and so i think that's that's the fodder by which then you can kind of go back and look at it you've made it explicit it's not floating around your head anymore which i also think is a huge deal like mm-hmm. wsd like write stuff down right and then go back to it pull out the things you think are true or not true or meaningful and important and a priority to work on and then make those intentional and then that c- kick starts that part of that cycle um so I have a variety of organizational behaviors that are bizarre, and I get very excited about things. Sometimes I ignore good feedback and insightful, directive help. Um, I'm trying to, of course, change that over time, but I'll never forget that when I was at the company Adaptive Path, we had a very rigorous, I think the, one of the best learning environments I've ever been in, and very intentional, very congenial, uh, but also very directed. And so I got some distressing feedback at the time. It was so meaningful, though, that I was freaking people out because I was, like, way agitated, cycling pretty high, stressed, you know, all the things that happen and in this intense kind of pressure cooker environment. And um, I was basically told to chill the heck out, Mm -hmm. right? I'm like, probably good advice. I cycle high. But one of the things that was advice given to me by the COO at the time, who was my advocate, we had kind of an interesting organizational structure for that, but we we didn't have managers, we had advocates, and their job was to help you be successful in the environment, because it was hard. And you didn't report to them, but other people could talk to them, and then there would be an intervention if you needed your advocate, because they Mm -hmm. were committed to you being successful. Mm -hmm. That was a very personal relationship. That was meaningful. And um, so I was given the advice to chill out, and he said, why don't you come up with a phrase that you can use, that you own, that you feel comfortable with, that you can tell other people that when you're doing this behavior, they can self-check you by saying that safe phrase. It was like right. a safe phrase. Yeah. And <laughs> mine was calm and simple. Keep it calm. Make it basic. And I actually had a fellow colleague cross-stitch that for me oh. so that I could put it on my desk <laughs> as this artifact. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
And, you know, it was really meaningful to have her in investment in that. But to this day, I'm like, when I start freaking out and you'll feel it, you just say, hey, Kate, calm and simple. And it's a phrase that I accepted, so I'm not mm. going to be like, you know, relax. If someone tells you, like, calm down, oh, guaranteed, that's not helpful, I, right? Yeah, I'm not, I'm, yeah. I don't need to calm down. Especially yeah. if there's a power dynamic, yeah. an age dynamic, a gender dynamic. Yeah. You're like, yeah. man, not, that's very inflammatory. Mm. But if you've said, when I need to calm down, please tell me this, and they know that, mm. then it makes it a much better self-adaptive behavior. Mm-hmm. That was a long story for kind of very little release, except that that kind of reflection happened through a lot of journaling, through a lot of thinking about it so that I could be calmer and simpler mm-hmm. in my conversations about it. Yeah. I think that's a beautiful story because it, it comes back to we know and should acknowledge, of course, that we are not perfect and we have these weaknesses. And if we can acknowledge these weaknesses and be transparent about them to our colleagues and the people we work with and even provide them with tools to give feedback to us. I mean, that's beautiful. And and and, yeah. and being and opening the door yeah. to them. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like, so you gave them the phrase. You you nope. gave them permission. Mm-hmm. You enabled them to help yeah. them help you. Mm-hmm. And, and my excellent. agreement was not to freak out and get angry when I heard it, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and which yeah. was easier because yeah. I was like, I felt like it was on terms that I could understand. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's excellent. Now I need to find my phrase. <laughs> find ah. your phrase. We can awesome. work on that this evening. Yeah. <laughs> Thank Unfortunately, you so much. I hate to say this, but you probably can't find your phrase, but I'll bet others can tell it to ah, you. Ah, <laughs> that's a very oh, good point. Oh, that's yeah. such a good point. It's a co-creation <laughs> moment. A co-creation <laughs> moment. I love it. We'll find each other's. Yo, oh, sweet. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should leave now, skipping oh, off all the hands. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Kate, for joining us. Um, so, I, thinking, reflecting about oh, everything that Kate said, um, and also, you know, me, 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 you, and Kate. We know we're of what we're forty, forty-five, forty-six, and fifty-one, and we all three of us have had um, twenty-plus years in the business. Um, mm. So you know, we're 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 in a particular group. We're all from the same ish group. Got um, different experiences, different countries, but um, you know, we're not we're not millennials. We're not people coming up in their beginning of their careers. But um, part of reflecting, I, I saw, I came across um, a report by Deloitte um, called the twenty. Well, it's the twenty seventeen global human capital trends. Hugely relevant, oh, yeah. hugely relevant reading, I think, on the back of this episode. So, click on the link on the show notes and and look at this. Um, at the beginning of the report, it says, employees now enjoy the prospect of 60-year careers. Yet at the same time, the half-life of skills is rapidly falling. And then they have a little um, graphic to help support this. So there's a length of career, 60 to 70 years. Average tenure in a job, 4.5 years. Half-life of a learned skill, 5 years. <laughs> so, you know, that's half-life of a learned skill. I mean, so after 5 years, something you learn is, you're probably done with it. Yeah, uh, that, may, that makes sense to me. But also, I think that what you were saying about the three of us being having been doing this for so long, I think also what we have in common is this desire to keep learning, to always be learning. So we are part of that crowd. We've always been doing this. Mm. And now it seems that, yes, this is the way that everybody has to be doing it in the future. Yeah, well, I think, I think our branch, our industry, does have that as one of its? I mean, we talk about the kind of definition UX and and what it can be and so on. But that kind of endless curiosity is one of those 
um, core skills, I think, of mm. of the people. I mean, a lot of people we know and we talk to, that that will, willingness to want to learn and, and curiosity about things around us is what makes us the people. Well, I think what draws us into this branch in many ways. Totally agree. Yeah. Uh, another stat from the report: forty-two percent of millennials um, said they were likely to leave their organization because they were not learning fast enough. <laughs> I love that. Uh, it makes you realize that how important, of course, it is to actually have a workforce that keeps learning and it, to, to even keep them. But it also makes you realize that we're no longer about climbing a ladder with a, like coming up to a manager position. It's People are more interested in, in evolving themselves. Mm. Uh, becoming better at what they're doing or doing something completely different or doing a hybrid of things. It's just you don't know yet. Yeah, which in, in many ways is mm. so positive because um, a lot of us don't want to end up doing the manager role because we want to be we want to be practicing our skills, that so we want to be doing doing the stuff rather than managing the stuff so exactly. so that, yeah. that we don't have kind of a, a, a formal hierarchical career ladder uh, anymore. Is very positive, I think, for many individuals. And you know, we people now expect with such long careers ahead of us, we expect employ, employers um, to help us continually re- reinvent ourselves. They've got to they've got to be part of that journey, um, you know, to to move us help us move from role to role and and find that true calling. On, on on new calling it doesn't have to be true calling. It's supposed to be a new calling if if we're having to kind of like. You know, reinvent ourselves um, so so regularly. Yeah, because you don't know what that next job is going to be because that job doesn't exist yet, exactly. like Kate was saying. Yeah, exactly. Actually, what I was thinking about when I was listening back to our chat with Kate was the, the whole recruitment thing. We didn't get a whole lot into it, but when I think about it, it's we map out the competences we have in an organization, and then we look at, so what are we lacking? Mm. And then we recruit to fill that gap. But that means that we assume that we're aware of the full spectrum of what that complete team means. So even if we instead we are open to bringing in people who, who could do things that we couldn't predict, we could create an opportunity for quickly growing our potential for innovation and growing as a team. Just be open to the fact that you may not know what you need. Yeah. That makes it more interesting to recruit. Well, yeah, I mean, if, um, again, another thing from the report, I'm going to keep going back to this, um, it, it was saying like software engineers um, and, in fact, other professionals report similar figures um, need to redevelop skills every 12 to 18 months. Mm. So, so yeah, we're saying half-life of skills, five years. Um, we, we feel that we're having to learn new stuff every six months. People are moving jobs every four and a half years um, and learning, you know, redeveloping their skills every year, year and a half. Then mm. that means... That yeah, you you don't know what's coming. It's a lot of the stuff isn't invented yet. Um, every year there's going to be something new, so your recruitment has to has to reflect that. You need to get people on board um, who who can um, collaborate um, and and develop and pick up new things and mm-hmm. and let go of old things. Yeah. So so the primary skill or what you should be asking then is not. What do you know, or do you know this thing? Is how fast do you learn, <laughs> <laughs> or how, how willing are you to learn? Or yeah, well, it's how, just, it's just yeah, different. How fast you? Yeah, 
Mm. How fast? Oh, I don't want to get us into a situation where yeah, we're saying. Yeah, I, I realised that question sounded odd as well. But yeah, it, it's 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 shifting. We can agree on that. It's it's something else that you don't want to focus on what people know now. You want to focus on creating the environment where people can thrive and learn new things. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm putting too much focus on the speed, and then I'm going to get stressed mm. again about, like I said, the very very first mm. opening line of the, the interview. That uh, yes, it's. it's <laughs> Doesn't make it makes your heart race when you realise you've got to learn yet another thing <laughs> yeah. in in just in no time at all. Um, mm. But um, but if you're always learning stuff, then that becomes yeah. maybe less stressful because it becomes learning becomes baseline. Well, it is baseline yes. for us exactly. But I mean, uh, one 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 positive. I mean, now we're kind of talking about all this these long careers and having to relearn learn new skills that we don't know what they are yet and change jobs, all these things. Um, but I think a, a positive thing, a real positive thing for, for, for us in our branch is I think we're at the center of the stage in all this. You know, you're reading like this, this report and, and what it recommends um, and what it talks about, especially in relation to design, um, it, it's saying that the, the design, the collaboration, the design thinking, iteration, and a bit of business understanding, those are the things that people need to be learning. Whereas that's actually, that's exactly what we do. Yeah. So, so we are where everyone else is heading. So I, yeah, what we tend to call design thinking is really a process, a way of thinking, mm. uh, learning how to think, learning how to reason, and learning how to analyze, how to make sense of things. Yeah. Yes, that is what everybody's learning and they teach that in business schools now as well yeah and i think i mean this is this is really exciting to kind of feel that you maybe are the center of it all or, or you're kind of at the crest of the wave you're, you're leading but, but that are you ooh, ah, that wow. sounds difficult as well i don't really like to put ourselves up there like we're so, sort of leading the way in that sense either because it's important again to keep learning like like kate was talking about um, how she's learning from younger people who've always been immersed in technology and that they bring something else to the table. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not saying that us being at the centre of the stage or, or kind of, you know, groundbreaking, mm. isn't going to make it easier. The journey is going to be, you know, it's still, it's going to be a difficult, maybe, or rather, mm. it's definitely going to be different. Um, and I think it's possibly healthy to be aware of the fact that, you know, the the other industries out there are looking at our industry, and pointing it out as a bit of a role model. That that I agree with. Yes, we're in a good place. In a good place, and I think we've yes. we've mm. you know it's it's good to remember that that you know mm. we're some of the trouble teething troubles that we're having are because we're we're doing this in, in possibly first um, as we mentioned mm. in, in the interview that we we've got people now who've who've kind of seen a, seen um, in, an industry. Um, be invented or come or appear and we're seeing similar things vanish we're doing that full spectrum from birth to death within our mm. careers and this is this is something not so many have done or yeah. lived through sorry exactly and we're always open to learning new things uh, like we talked about and because if we weren't open to learning new things if we were protective of our knowledge then we would just be creating barriers to to growing so we know that by sharing our knowledge we actually learn more by the feedback we get. Yes, exactly. So, uh, links to read. You'll find those on uxpodcast.com in our show notes. And we'll also send them out as part of our backstage email, which you can sign up to at uxpodcast.com slash backstage. And if you... Um 
you want a suggestion of something to listen to next, and I know you do, um, then we're going to recommend episodes 138 and 139, which is a, a two-part chat we had a couple of years ago um, with um, Yevgenia Greenblow and Melissa Perry about education and leadership. Remember to keep moving. See you on the other side. Who's there? Four eggs. Four eggs who? For example. <laughs> what <was> it? Oh. <laughs> it's like half a sentence. How does that work? <laughs> really is stupid.